Hi, you trying to buy a house? Yeah, you and everybody else in the world. Let's talk about how ridiculous it is trying to buy a house in 2021 and the craziness of the bidding wars. What's poppin' everybody? Welcome to another week in the bananas cray-cray world of real estate. This is dropping in March. I'm recording this at the end of February of 2021. And if you're listening to this in the future, oh my God, it is unbelievable out there. The bidding wars, they're real. Welcome to the show for this is our show that tries to take some of the mystery and the confusion out of what is already an overwhelming process, even in a normal market. But if you're trying to buy a home in 2021, you know it's anything but normal. I have taken out and put in offers for five different buyers in the last couple of weeks. Uh, some of them have put in two or three different offers over that time because we didn't get the house because there were a million other people trying to buy every single condo, townhome, and house. We're talking 10, 20, 30 offers. I even had one home that when it all was said and done over just four days, three days actually, there were 90 offers on the home. Yeah, gang, that ain't normal. So you've got me, the completely abnormal host of the show. I'm David Sedoni, the How to Buy a Home Guy, and this is the How to Buy a Home podcast. Figured I'd do an introduction because I'm assuming we might have some new listeners out there because maybe you're one of the 89 people that didn't get that home with the 90 offers on it. And maybe you didn't get it, so you're looking for the magic bullet, either to finally help you get an offer accepted or to blow your brains out in frustration. I get it. I feel you. All right, so let me start off right away letting you know that my abnormality may actually be helpful to you as you're trying to figure out the bonkers battles that are happening out there for first-time homebuyers. My unusualness stems from the fact that, well, a lot of things, but one of the ways that I'm unusual is that I'm an experienced realtor solely focused on you, the first-time homebuyer. Most of the realtors that cater to you new guys, well, they end up being new too. They're rookies, the people that just got their license recently, or they're the part-timers. That's because those people, they seem to have all the time in the world to talk with you, uh, but it's mostly because they don't have any other clients. And often they don't have quite a clue on how to help you in a regular standard market, let alone this battle royale we got going on right now. So why do those type of realtors look for you while many of the experienced professionals would rather pass you off? Well, the name of the game in real estate is that you start with first-time homebuyers when you're a newbie, and then you shift as you grow and progress and get experience into working with mostly sellers because that's where the big money is. And then you might sprinkle in a first-time buyer every once in a while. This worked for a long time because, you know, pre-internet, buyers used to come to your listings seeing that sign in the yard and they'd see a home for sale and then you as the realtor could work with both. Nowadays, buyers realize they should educate themselves on the process and you guys have the means to do so. This little thing called the internet. Uh, there are reviews out there and you guessed it, my favorite podcasts. So I started a show for all you curious minds to hear the inside secrets. I'm taking 15 years of experience, that's as of 2021, to help all you first-time buyers 
Turn your largest monthly bill, your rent, into your largest automatic wealth builder. All with the guidance of an active, experienced professional who thinks that, well, you first-time buyers have been getting screwed by the real estate industry, and they're using you as guinea pigs to train the newer agents, and they're not giving you the respect and the high level of service that you deserve. So if that sounds good to you and you're a new person listening, subscribe. You'll automatically get information every single week. And the poor service that first-time buyers is getting has never been more evident than in these bidding wars of 2021. You see, there are very few homes for sale and rents have been increasing steadily for quite some time. And a lot of first-time buyers are getting sick of it. So they're seeing the rising rents and they're also seeing that the mortgage to buy a new home, your first home, it's the cheapest it's ever been in history. So that means lots and lots of buyers. But there aren't a lot of homes for sale, so that low inventory means that we've got your basic supply and demand situation with the scales tilted way one direction. Ooh, one direction. Don't worry, I'm not gonna sing. Actually, you guys probably don't even remember them. Okay, so before I went off on uh, British boy bands, I was talking about the why why we're in this mess right now while the bidding wars are happening. So let's get into the what. As in, cool, David, thanks for the inside secrets about why this happened, but what the hell do I do? I know, everyone wants to know. First, don't give up. I'm going to say this, you know, pretty quickly because the question I get all the time is, you know, David, it's so hard right now. I don't want to battle in a bidding war with all the buyers driving the prices up, you know, isn't it just better for me to wait for the prices to come down and get a home when there's less competition? Well, that's a loaded question. It takes kind of a lot of time to go over it. And, you know, I want to make sure that I speak to those of you who clicked on this, your first time listeners, and, and you wanted to find all the tools and techniques to win the bidding war, which means that you guys aren't asking that question you think it's you want to go for the battle. So fine. So I'm going to make this quick. If you do have that question and you think you should wait until prices go down, go back, listen to episode 38. That's the 2021 housing market forecast. And specifically episode 40 dropped just a couple weeks ago. That one's called should I buy now or wait? Go back, listen to those, or read the transcripts on the website, davidsedoni.com, and you'll get the answer. Again, maybe not the same answer for everybody, but there is kind of a general answer if you're in a decent position to buy a house that it's better to fight the battle than to wait because mathematically, it just doesn't make sense. And remember, the bad thing about 90 offers on a home is that 89 people are still gonna try and buy another house. But the good thing is, if you get yourself a warrior realtor to help you and you win one of those bidding wars with all those extra buyers, when you own that home this year, well, there's still going to be 89 people out there trying to buy another house because you beat them in one of those battles. And I bet they all offer just a little bit more the next time, which means the house that you secure by fighting this battle and making that choice, it's going to be going up in value in just a matter of weeks, and it'll be significantly more as you get to the end of the year. Now, the tips I'm going to give you today, this is not everything you can do to win the bidding battle, but these are some kind of high-level extra tips, sort of the over the top stuff that you want to do. Remember, your specific area is definitely going to have all kinds of different things that don't happen in California. And even, you know, California, there's different things. So wherever you are, there's going to be local tricks. And that's the stuff that only a magical unicorn agent's going to know. So don't think this is everything. This is just a little extra. Some things 
work in California. Some things don't work in, uh, where you are. So it's all the more reason to work with a unicorn realtor and not your part-time realtor cousin, which leads me to why I'm doing this episode this week. I got a, a DM or maybe it was an email. I can't remember. But anyway, I got or listener reached out and got in touch with me. And this listener, she was very frustrated with the bidding wars. So I said, hey, I'll tell you what, you know, I'm trying to spread the word about the podcast. So reach out and we set up a Zoom and we talked a little bit and we discussed the items that could help her perhaps win the next battle because they just lost a tough one. So tip number one, do you and your realtor know the sales in the area? Not just what homes have sold for, but what's happening in the bidding in your area? Are people going way over on their bids? Now, only an active and professional realtor is going to have this information, either from working with other buyers or interacting with you know their colleagues on a regular basis, sharing information. I can't tell you the number of texts and emails and phone calls I'm getting from other realtors going, dude, what is up? So it's best if you're working with a realtor that's in this full time because the inside information on the values, it's changing literally daily. It's crucial that your realtor know that. So the overall main tip that I have, the big summary for the whole episode is hire the best active professional and experienced realtor you can find, or you're just going to be left in the dust. Now that's where this zoom call started. Turns out that she actually was working with her cousin who was a part-time realtor. So All right, let's get back into the tips. That's the overall tip. Tip number one, if you are looking at the list price and thinking, hey, that's right at our max, but let's give it a shot because, you know, we can pay right there up to the list price, but it's our dream home. We really want it. So do you and your realtor know the actual value of the home or is the listing agent listing that property very low? or even slightly low, just so they can get a whole bunch of offers. Here's some examples of this. Now, remember, I'm in California and California by the ocean, so my prices are stupid high. I have seen this with those buyers I was telling about earlier. A home listed at $675,000 in a $725,000 neighborhood. Another one, there was a home at $789 in an $850 neighborhood. And finally, that one with the 90 offers, it was listed at $625 in a $750 neighborhood. Now, trust me, it should have been under $750 because it was super dated. No joke. I mean, grandma bought this house and then hadn't done a thing in it for 60 years. So yeah, it was a little less than the 750 average, but not 625. But my client, because we knew the values of the area, we said, all right, let's give it a shot. It's not 750. It definitely needs like 75 grand worth of work, but let's go for it. So they offered 713. Now, if you're thinking that's a weird number, David, cool. That's tip number two, never offer a round number because you never know what the top three offers are going to be. What if the top three offers are all 710? Well, I know it's silly, but that little extra effort might be enough to put you over the top and get you the home. So in all of these overbid offers, so we took our shot. Now, this was one of those multiple offers I put out in the past couple of weeks. And in all of these overbid offers, we never even got a counter offer because we weren't even in the top three offers. Now, it's not a rule. The seller can counter as many buyers as they like, but some sellers have kind of made this unwritten rule now that they just counter the top three offers. And that brings us into tip number three. If your market is nuts, I do not recommend that you offer lower than whatever your top number is 
for that house. Because if you do that, so and most people do that because they say, well, I want to leave myself a little room so I can get a counter offer and then I can go up some. Well, you might not even get an at bat if you don't offer that big number right at the beginning, if because if there's a bunch of offers, they might just counter the top three. Especially, you know, if it's bonkers crazy in your area, then you got to go bonsai big on your first offer. Don't hold anything back. Now, you are protected by the appraisal. So technically, I've had to explain to a lot of people, you really can't overpay if the seller's going to work with you if the appraisal comes in low. This is also an out for you. It's a no harm, no foul. If your contract is written and you're keeping the standard contingency or conditions in that inspection period, the buyer beware period, then your deposit will not be in jeopardy. You know, would go deeper into how that works, but it can get pretty detailed. So let me explain a little bit more by moving to tip number four, waiving the appraisal. Now, a lot of these tips involve you having some extra cash beyond your closing costs, and this is definitely one of them. So to explain it, let me combine some of the first tips that I've given you all together to explain this tip number four. So we'll get back to realistic numbers. If you like a home listed at $300,000 and the area is about, you know, 325 for an average home and the home you're looking at is an average home. Well, you realize it's a feeding frenzy right now. So it's listed at 300, 325 is average, but you think, God, this might go up to 350 or 360. And then you talk to your realtor about it and he confirms that with you or she confirms that with you or they or them or whatever pronoun they like. Well, that's satisfying tip number one, that you and your realtor, that you guys know the value together or he or she or they or them know it and they tell you about it. Okay. So now you think about, okay, it's, we know it might go 350 or 360. Our loan approval is 370. So let's offer 367. That's using tip number two, the non-round, even regular number and using tip number three, maxing out on your first offer just to make sure that you even get countered so you don't get left stranded at the altar. Well, the seller realizes that any offer over 360, it might not appraise. Now, that means that during the transaction, an appraisal happens, and that's where the buyer's bank for the loan does an appraisal to get a value of the home. This value determines the total purchase price that the bank will set for the loan, the purchase price. No matter how much money you put down, they will only loan up to the price of the appraisal. So the seller is looking at all the offers and thinks, well, what happens if they take the highest offer that feels like it might be a little bit above where they think the home might appraise and the bank appraisal comes in at 360. So what happens to the 367 that you offered? Well, the bank's only going to loan you up to the appraised 360. No matter how much you put down, you can't just increase the down and try to make it up that way. It doesn't work that way. So to get the home, what you got to do is you're going to put in your down payment, whatever it is, and your closing costs. And then the bank's going to give you the loan up to 360. And then at the end, if the seller decides not to work with you and accept your 367 and make you stick to it, then you have to bring in $7,000 extra cash and you pay that to the seller through the closing. Now, in a normal market, sometimes that extra cash, it's negotiated between a buyer and a seller if an appraisal comes in lower than the agreed upon price. Sometimes you negotiate to the middle, you know. Sometimes this extra cash is negotiated between the buyer and the seller. Like maybe if we find if you agree on a price and the price comes in low, then maybe you negotiate to bring in just maybe half of that amount of cash. But 
you do have the option in a crazy market like this to waive the appraisal with your original offer. And that lets them know that no matter what the bank says the home is worth, you're willing to pay the difference in cash to get your first offer accepted, get you to the top of the pile. Which brings us to tip number five. Many people tell me they don't want to battle it out because there's no way that a three and a half percent or a 3.5% down payment offer, the FHA loan is going to get accepted. Well, tip number five is your realtor's job is to show that your three and a half percent loan is just as golden as the 20% down payment. You've got to battle and show, hey, money's money. So that means you have to show that your three and a half percent down payment is a real legitimate loan. Have your lender do a full approval before you even think about writing an offer. And then when it's time, show them it's gold by showing them everything you've done to get approved well before this. Tip number six is this, to make it look even better is a guarantee from your lender. How can they do that? Well, they can reduce the contingency or condition period on your loan. Most of the time, you're going to have a period from the time that you open the contract. You're going to have a matter of 10, 12, 14, 17 days before you remove your contingency or condition on the loan, thus saying, okay, I'm all good. Well, what we're doing right now is we're doing so much work ahead of time before our buyers even write an offer that when I write the offer, I remove that loan contingency or condition immediately right with the offer. And it's the number one reason that escrows fall apart is the loan. So what I'm telling the seller and the seller's agent is, hey, we're all good. Don't even stress on the loan. All we got to do is do our inspection. As long as you know there aren't vampires in the attic, we're good to go. If your unicorn realtor is good, they're going to have referred you to a rock star lender that can do that for you. And then tip number seven is have that rock star lender get involved, not after the offer gets accepted, but when the offer gets presented, have them call right away. Talk to the listing agent to tell them, hey, I've checked these dudes out for months. We've got all their paperwork. They're ready to go. Now, I know a little bit ago I mentioned the 3.5% down. A lot of people are telling you that that FHA loan might be a problem. Do not believe that. That's old school dinosaur talk. I've personally helped 103 first-time homebuyers at the time of this recording right now, and most of them have used an FHA loan all the way back to 2006. And back then we were hearing about it and we started to beat that myth a long time ago. And it's crazy. It's yes, at one point, FHA loans, you know, many, many decades ago were difficult because they don't want people to use FHA loans to buy homes as an investment. So you can't buy a total beater. But nowadays, the only thing is the house has to have a heater and it has to be safe. That's pretty much it. Most homes you're going to make an offer on, they are. Okay, now remember back to the whole appraisal thing that may have confused you? Uh, Well, that's another reason why maybe 3.5% down is better than 5% or 10% down. See, you might get looked at differently from 3.5% down to 20% down, even if your lender calls and you do all that stuff. Sometimes they're still going to look at you differently. But the seller and the seller's agent, there's really no difference between 35 down and 5% down. It's like there's no difference between 5% down and 10% down. But there's a big difference if you can show the listing agent 
in your verification of funds, that's the bank statements that you send along with the offer to show them that you have the down payment and the closing costs. But if you can show them more, show them that you're not just squeaking by and that you've barely got the down payment and the closing costs, that you have extra cash, well, the seller knows that you can use that to sweeten the deal once you're under contract. Extra money means to the seller that you're not going to nickel and dime them for repairs, credits, you know, money for termites or one of the many other things that might come up in, in the inspections in whatever part of North America that you're in because we all have different stuff. It's septic or radon or all that stuff. So instead of stretching to put five or 10% down, drop down to a lower down payment. Make sure that your realtor and your lender show them that that low down payment is just as gold as a 10% down payment. And then make sure your realtor shows them the extra cash you have above and beyond the down payment and the closing costs. Show that extra cash. Okay, now moving on. In your offer, you're going to have lots of little things and some not so little things that can sweeten the deal for the seller and give them more profit. And I'm talking about a way to give more profit without just increasing the purchase price. So tip number eight is if you and another buyer offer the same price, but you've waived many of all the traditional things that the seller pays for, then their net profit goes up. Traditionally, the seller's going to pay for, you know, it depends on where you are in the country, but like here, they always pay for the termite work and the home warranty, some of the city and local inspections, maybe some local transfer fees or taxes. They'll pay for the document fees from the HOA or other places. And of course, you know, the fridge and the washer and dryer in my area, they're always negotiable. But, you know, and if the microwave isn't attached to anything, then, you know, that's something else. But the listener that I was Zooming with, she told me, yeah, we waived everything. Me and my part-time cousin realtor, or I guess that's be a part-time realtor, a full-time cousin. They didn't ask for anything. They offered over the list price. They waived the appraisal and they didn't ask for any extra stuff. And they said that they were going to pay for all the stuff, the warranty, the termite, everything. And they even offered a free 30-day rent back, which leads us directly into tip number nine. You regular listeners have heard me say it a million times. Real estate is two things. Say it with me, time and money. Now, in a bidding war, you got to max out both. So we've gone over how you can max out the money, but what about the time? First, you have to be in a flexible position on time. I can't stress this enough. The more flexible you are, the better deal that you're going to get. Okay, so one of the ways you can be flexible is you found out a long time ago, can your lender move faster than 30 days if that's what the seller wants? And then can you move faster than 30 days if that's what the seller wants? Again, these should both be sorted out long before you go into battle. Or then, you know, if you don't know this stuff and you get into battle, then you're the, the soldier with the bow and arrow while the other guys have machine guns. Okay, what about the other scenario where the seller is maybe trying to buy a home and they need time? So, you know, they ask you if they can stay in the home after the sale while they keep shopping or closing on their property, and then they're going to pay you rent. That's the rent back, okay? Because at the close of the, uh, what we call it an escrow here, or the close of the contract, if you're in another part of the country, you now own the house. So if they stay in it for 30 days, they have to pay you rent. So how are you with the time on that? Can you be flexible with that? Can you offer them that time? Now, what my listener friend who I was Zooming with and her part-time realtor cousin did was really smart. They offered that time to the seller because the seller needed the time. They offered the 30-day rent back, but it was actually just a 30-day back. There was no rent. 
<laughs> they just said, tell you what, uh, you guys can stay in there for 30 days. Now, typically that would have been about a $3,000 rent. So what they did was they just upped their profit by three grand without having to raise their price, which it gets a little complicated, but if you think about it, that can really help the buyer. You can really put in your best offer. And by doing that 3,000 free rent back, you're not having to mess with the appraisal and bring in extra cash. It's a little convoluted. It's a whole bunch of stuff, but just think about that. You have the opportunity to pay them $3,000 more without your price being scrutinized with the appraisal. And if you waive the appraisal, then you know, you're going to be bringing in extra cash. So that saves you there. Good move on the part of the part-time realtor cousin. Uh, we'll actually get to that in a minute. Uh, spoiler alert. Nope. He totally blew it. Uh, and they lost the house that they really wanted. And they probably could have got it with an experienced pro. But hey, that's why we're doing the podcast. I'm here to help. Let me give you three more tips before I tell you the cousin punchline. Sucked. Really broke my heart. You know, I did ask her if I could tell her the story. And she's like, please go ahead. If it helps other people, let's do it. So tip number 10 is counteroffers. Counteroffers can leave you lots of opportunity to separate yourself from the pack. First of all, congratulations. You got one. You're in the mix. In my area, people are using this thing in their counter offers called a escalation clause. So if the seller is countering all the buyers without a price, which a lot of them do, it's just saying to everybody, bring your highest and best price and terms. That's the way that most people write it. It's like, you know, it's a poker game and they don't want to give anybody a number and see who comes back. They just want everybody to bring in their best and you all have to do it blind. Well, you can respond with a number or you can respond with a number and an escalation. Like, let's say you're offering 368 or 368 or $2,000 over the highest offer, right? So, and then what you do is you cap it. You say, okay, we're offering 368, but if someone offers, you know, 370, we're going to go 372. $2,000 over the highest offer over our 368. And then you cap it and you say, we'll do that up to like 375 or 380. And then we're not going 2000 over if someone offers $400,000. And so that way, if somebody beats you because you're in that blind guessing game of highest and best, you know, you can get in there. It can get a little tricky with the escalation if you're doing things with the appraisal and, and the cap, and if it sounds complicated to you, well, guess what? It is. And that's why you need a full-time Unicorn Pro representing you. So in tip number 11, this is something that reiterates the fact that you need a pro because I have been doing tip number 11 for years, and now it just became pretty much almost illegal. It's not illegal, but it is strongly recommended against from the National Association of Realtors just in the last couple of weeks. They're discouraging everyone from using those love letters. You know, that little personal letter that you send to the seller along with your offer, telling them how much you love the home and maybe a little backstory on yourself, hoping that they find some sort of, you know, a connection with you. Well, the National Association of Realtors said, don't do it. It could open up you, your realtor, and you as the buyer to lawsuits. And it has a lot to do with discrimination. Basically, you know, you just got to think logically about it. There's a potential for discrimination there. If people are picking people because they like certain people, then it put the shoe on the other foot could because they don't like other people. And that's discrimination. So that whole love letter thing is gone. And so if you're out there buying looking to buy a house right now and your realtor is suggesting that you should do one, that means either they play it fast and loose 
and are not concerned about the liability, which should scare you, or it means they're not active enough in real estate to have seen this announcement, which should scare you even more. I've seen this thing, this announcement three or four times a day for weeks now, and every, whether it's a a clubhouse group or a coaching group or whatever, everybody's talking about it. And if your realtor doesn't know that, who knows what else they're missing? So with my Zoomer, my listener at the end, I gave her tip number 12, which was especially important since her cousin was a part-timer. I said, I know it's silly, but the presentation of the offer, the way the offer gets to the other agent, it needs to be super efficient and super professional. You know, if it's a Sunday night and this is what's happening, they show the homes on Saturday and Sunday, then Sunday night, bam, they might be looking at 10, 20 offers. So the way that email is sent to them, that's everything. They're trying to get something done on a Sunday night. Who wants to stay up late on a Sunday night, except for idiots like me doing podcasts, right? So that package, it better be tight. It's easy to skim easy to look at the facts. Everything's in one PDF, not in six PDFs that I have to open. And if I do open the PDF, everything's in the right order to read and present. Because not only am I looking at it, but I'm presenting it to the seller. That's me if I was the listing agent. So that, you just have to think of them as they're very busy. Send them something gorgeous. You know, all kinds of crazy little stuff like what's in the subject line of that email? Because if they're being bombarded with all the emails on their hot property or maybe multiple hot properties, they want it to be simple to understand. You know, do, is the lender copied in the email with his or her phone number to confirm the loan? Does the overall email show the respect for that busy listing agent by being clean and easy to digest while also, you know, showing the professionalism and strength of the offer from your side? I actually will teach this class sometimes to realtors in my area and the brokers, when they have been going to do it, they, they call the class presenting the offer. And, uh, I immediately change the name when I teach it because presenting the offer is the dinosaurs harking back to the old days when you used to walk over to the person's office and you would present a contract to them. I call it packet presentation because you are judged by that packet and that packet is just an email. I mean, and you're judged on everything. I mean, everything. You're judged on your email address. I see AOL, ooh, trouble, right? (laughs) And if your email signature just says, you know, love Dave, come on. If I'm a listing agent and I see not a professional real estate signature at the bottom and, you know, AOL or Prodigy, you guys probably don't even know what that is. Well, then I immediately sense and I know that it's not an experienced agent on the other side. And yeah, your agent and the way that they present your offer, the way that they text the other agent, the way that they call the other agent, it's all being judged. Those of us who are in the trenches every day, we can smell the novices a mile away. And then, you know, At some point, we will share this with the sellers. I mean, great, a number looks good on paper, but it came from sally463 at aol.com, right? And and then I have another offer right here. It's $5,000 less, but this comes from Joe at Joe's Realty. And look at all the extra information that they provided or that Joe provided in the email. He talked about the buyer's lender and the finances. And, you know, as a matter of fact, I know Joe, you've probably seen his signs around town. And, you know, there's another little trick about that for you guys. If I don't know Joe, I can go. If I'm representing the seller and I'm the agent, I can go on the MLS and look up every single realtor's stats, see how many homes they've sold. All that information is there for realtors. And it's there so that we can do this, so we can look up and make sure that, so that a professional can deal with a professional, you know, just like you want a professional like me calling your agent and going, I'd like to present an offer. I'm not nervous, guys. It's just late. All right. So uh, getting back to the story, how about that? As we get ready to close the Zoom, 
with my listener. You know, I told her, hey, it does matter. All this presentation stuff matters. And, you know, the listing agent, and I'm sure that many sellers will actually Google the realtors that they're bringing in. So I told her all that's going to matter. I said, but, you know, the good thing is I've looked at a lot of other stuff that your part-time cousin did. And, you know, there's really not much more that I could advise you. It's It sounded like he did a pretty darn good job for a part-timer. You know, he, he'd been doing it for a long time, but not a lot every year. So I told her it's just a tough battle. It's hard out there and she should just hang tough. And then I had one more tip for her. I said, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this to you. Make sure that you max out your earnest money deposit. You know, that initial deposit you put in just as, as a sign of good faith. Make sure you guys are doing 3%. How much are you guys offering? And she goes, um, my cousin said 1%. Well, I can explain to you guys, those numbers could be totally different in your part of the world. So I could explain to you forever how the contract protects the earnest money deposit. And so in California, we have the rules that up to 3%, you're totally fine, you're totally protected. As long as the buyer and the seller both work at the contracted timelines, then and everyone's in good faith, then there's no way that's an issue for anybody. So I summed it up like that. By putting 1%, it shows me that you don't work in the area, you don't understand the area, you don't understand the contract and it tells me everything I know about the realtor. I need to know about the realtor, I should say. You know, now again, this exact, those numbers aren't going to be the same for you wherever you are, but whatever the norm is, anything in the contract that is the norm, your agent can speak volumes by not doing that to try and quote unquote protect the buyer. All that does is show me they don't understand the contract and that they are trying to protect the buyer by not having the confidence in themselves and the way the transaction works to realize that that's completely protected as long as you follow all the guidelines within the contract. And, you know, she says, yeah, I was kind of wondering about that. And she goes, you know what else with that free rent back? Well, you know, a while ago, he sold my house to, to their uncle and they did a rent back with the sellers and they didn't leave after 30 days. The sellers didn't go. So it was this huge ordeal. It was a major issue. So, you know, when he decided to do the free rent back for us, we did it. But what he did was, you know, cause he was so freaked out that something would happen with us, like happened with his uncle. He put a $20,000 penalty if they didn't leave at the end of 30 days, jaw on the floor. Okay, look, there are several ways to contractually protect your buyer in a rent back, but 20 grand penalty, that ain't one of them. I mean, what the hell do you think the sellers thought when they saw that? Do you think they even looked at anything else in the deal? Oh, oh, thank you very much for your offer. Uh, so I see here that you're saying, by the way, when we get your house, at the end of 30 days, if you're going to be homeless, we're also going to demand $20,000 from you. Come on. <laughs> So we laughed about it and, and I, I wished her well. And now, like you, she's armed with a few extra tips to help her in her next bidding war. But the biggest tip, would you rather have a slightly uncomfortable moment at the family reunion with your cousin? Or would you rather save tens of thousands of dollars on the biggest purchase of your life? Or rather actually get the dream home and have an opportunity than miss out? Well, I hope this helped you. I know this helped my listener on the Zoom. It was fun. I'm sure her and her cousin are going to have a very interesting conversation. So as for you, these these are some. I'm sure there's more in your local area. So, you know, if you've got specific questions, I'll do my best. DM me on the Instagram, go to the website, davidsedoni.com, contact me right through there. It's pretty much the fastest way to get to me. Fill out the little contact form. Uh, that stuff comes right to me immediately. If you want help finding a unicorn in your area, I can help you with that. DM me, check me out on uh, the website. There is a How to Buy a Home Facebook group where we have other listeners 
telling stories to each other and talking, check us out there. You can also check me out on YouTube. That's on my website or on YouTube. Uh, just search David Sidoni. Uh, there's more tips there. Subscribe there. Subscribe here on the podcast and share this with your friends, please. And if you have a moment, write the podcast a review so we can get the word out to everyone because you know you deserve the best. And if you don't have a unicorn and you don't have the best right now, well, you could get slaughtered in this battle. But the fight is worth it. But you want to go into battle with a general. Good luck to y'all. Remember, you can do this.